Good morrow, everybody. My name is Ben Laboot, and welcome to Stories of Symmetry, a podcast and blog dedicated to revealing beauty and purpose through another look at faith, the sacred, and the stories that unite us all. Today, we are considering martialism, the qualities and culture of war, and for this episode specifically, the warrior. Joining us today is Jeff Lindsay, a Lutheran pastor of 24 years and a seventh Don martial artist for 45 years. Depending on the audience, he is fairly addressed as pastor or master. For ease, I'll simply say Jeff. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Ben. To keep us on track, here's the structure of our conversation today. We'll begin with introductions about Jeff, his denomination, and martial arts. Get to the heart of the matter asking, is self-defense okay? Dig deeper into Jeff as Pastor Lindsay and as Master Lindsay. Ask some tough questions about living the Christian life with these topics in mind. And finally, conclude with an open mic for Jeff to completely take the floor and share some words of wisdom. Without further ado, let's get started. A few icebreakers. Who is your favorite biblical character? <laughs> and you can resort to one from the Old Testament and one from the New if you have to. <laughs> That's a tough question. So many to choose from, so many good ones, too, uh, and interesting ones. Probably, and this will be Old Testament and New Testament, but probably for the Old Testament would be Jacob. And actually, my oldest son is named Jacob after him, more or less. <laughs> but Jacob, and, and mostly because he is so human. He is definitely imperfect. And I love the fact that uh, here's a character, even in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, these imperfect people whom God loves, stays with, teaches, shapes, all those kind of things. And so Jacob, for that reason, but also, of course, there's the grappling match that Jacob has with God at, you know, <laughs> that is at Penuel. Yeah, it's like, you know, today. right, absolutely. And that's sort of really just coincidental. But I do love that fact, you know, the fact that uh, he didn't give up. You know, and God allows Jacob to uh, to wrestle, and in doing so, he works through his issues. He grows from that, uh, and I love the fact that God gives him a little reminder, you know, a little sock on the hip to, you know, <laughs> just to let him know, you know, don't forget this, Jacob, don't forget this. And then for the New Testament, probably uh, Peter for the same reason because of uh, he's so human. Peter is uh, definitely uh, a very flawed character, human, but one whom Jesus loves deeply and brings him along on the journey. So uh, probably those two. I think of characters that are human. The Christmas bonus, Grace from Anger, just going back a few Christmases now, where I talk about Mary, an exceptional role model. But if we lift her out of the context of a human being and think of her as a demigod or something like that, which obviously Christian faith she's not, but we elevate her so highly mm -hmm. that her actions stop being an example for us because they're intangible. Yeah, but if absolutely. If think of her as another human being, a person like me, then I, I could use her as a role model. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, there's a question on Jacob, and especially his, his match where he wrestles God and then he gets renamed to Israel. Yes, I've always wondered, after the renaming, why does he get referred to as Jacob throughout the Old Testament? You know, here's Jacob, I'm renaming you Israel, and then you hear Jacob and Israel 
it feels like about half and half throughout the rest of the Bible. I don't know, but <laughs> part of that might be that uh, there's a real danger of you start talking about Israel, then you stop thinking about Jacob and you start thinking about the nation. Of course, it's all in context and so forth, but without going back and asking the writers, which that's impossible to do, uh, it's probably for reference. You know, it's, It may even be just good writing just to remind the reader who they're talking about. More significant than that, though, is just the fact Saul and Paul and, and anybody who's had a name change, it's just a reminder that uh, something significant has changed. And that's really what that's all about. And next icebreaker, what is your favorite move in all martial arts? <laughs> so it could be offensive, defensive, uh, something you can do, something you can't do. Yeah. Uh, but it should be a real move, not like a Mortal Kombat kind of flying through the air. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, probably my favorite, because it's easy to do, it's a great technique, is called Paxi, something that Bruce Lee used a lot. In fact, it was so effective that it was one of those things where he didn't teach everybody that. He only taught certain people. Uh, and it's basically a slap block is what it is. It, it's using, uh, you know, if you're going to punch with, uh, let's say, your right hand, your your left hand comes and literally slaps the uh, the raised hand of your opponent down out of the way. You know, you're covered up. you got your, your hands up. But then the rear hand knocks that defense down, exposing a target. And then almost simultaneously comes a back fist or a punch or, or whatever. A back fist works really well with that. Um, so you're basically knocking the defense out of the way and, and then you're able to strike. So, it's a simple technique, but extremely effective. Facts, I so use the non-dominant or, or the non-striking arm to remove the other person's blocking and then that opens them up for your strike. Exactly. But let me tell you, there's another technique I wanted to share with you that I, I used to could do, used to could have, right? <laughs> but I can't anymore. They're called white crane sweeps. You're low to the ground, and you've got your your leg extended, and you're moving in a circular motion and sweeping, you know, sweeping the the feet of your opponent, if you will. You know, there's a forward and a reverse, and kind of a signature technique for me. You know, I was uh, I was pretty good at that. You know, not everybody could do it, but but I got short legs, and that makes it easy. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of thing. But I can't do it anymore. But it, it's a really cool technique, uh, and you don't see it very often. Not a lot of people can do that. The other half of your life, being a pastor, there's a lot of Christian denominations, and it can be hard for the average person to describe what's actually different between each one. What is Lutheranism in a quick nutshell? Which might not be a fair question, but I'll ask you to try. Good question. So Lutheran was born out of the Protestant Reformation, led by Martin Luther. That's where the name Lutheran comes from. Martin Luther, early 1500s, stood up against the church that uh, at the time was definitely not emphasizing Jesus, hardly even knew Jesus anymore, who Jesus was. And uh, Martin Luther protested, if you will, stood up and said, hey, we've got to make some changes. And rather than listening to him, they kicked him out of the church. And he said, well, you know, we don't have to have um, one church body. We can have more than one. That birthed, if you will, Protestant churches, starting with the Lutheran church. Soon after that, there were the Anglican church and other uh, denominations that popped out of that. But for, for Luther, what was really important is grace. 
he struggled with not being good enough, not being pure enough, if you will, not being righteous enough, all those kind of things. He, he self-examined himself to the point where he almost drove himself and other people crazy because he was tormented by the fact that he would never, ever be good enough to follow Jesus. And then he read Galatians and Romans and out of that realized that, you know, it's not about that. It's like he'll never be good enough. And that's the whole point is God loves us anyway. And that's what we call grace. And so for him, it's it's an understanding of grace. It's like absolutely we're not worthy, but absolutely we're loved beyond measure because of what God has done through Jesus. And that's how we know is because of Jesus, how much God loves us. So for the doctrine, if you will, for Lutheran faith, it's it's justified by grace through faith, basically in a nutshell. It's all about grace and, and the gift of faith that we have. It's not earning your way in any way. It's not doing enough of this or enough of that or or doing this or doing that. It's It's understanding Jesus on the cross. It's God with us. It's God willing to die for us. It's God who refuses to give up on us will never abandon us. Again, that's grace. Did you grow up Lutheran or are you a convert? I'm a convert. We were in and out of Baptist churches, uh, which I learned a lot from. uh, And I learned a lot from a lady who was Presbyterian, I believe. But I had a lot of questions, you know, about a God who loves us that much, but then would torment us, you know, forever. And the legalism and the works righteousness and all that kind of stuff that that would sometimes come into play. And then started dating a girl in high school, went to Lutheran church for the first time with her. And I was just kind of blown away. It was something I'd never experienced before. And, you know, the preaching was completely different. And uh, and again, what I heard was grace. You know, what I heard was all the things that I said before about, you know, God being with us and loving us and kind of became a Lutheran soon thereafter. And been one ever since. And been one ever since, that's right. So the title pastor, I understand. Can you explain the title master in martial <laughs> arts? So and is that specific to the arts you do? And then also the seventh Don talk to me like I have no idea. Sure. Well, you know, the term master, there are titles, if you will, with any kind of structured organization. Belts are all about just way of organizing students and organizing where, you know, teachers and so forth and what level of experience they have, what level of proficiency they have and that kind of thing. So the term master is just a, it's a recognition that an individual has reached a point where they're proficient in their knowledge and they're proficient in their skill level and in their teaching ability. But it's just a way of recognizing somebody's achievement in that kind of way. It's, it's all subjective. What belt would you be? So or are you? Yeah, so I'm a seventh Don. So Don ranks are black belts. So when somebody says I'm a first Don, second Don, that means they're first degree black belt, second degree black belt, and that kind of thing. Typically, the master level, depending on what art you're in, is either fourth or fifth Don. The other thing about that is, so from there on out, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever, it's not so much about how much you you know you know anymore or what you can do it's about your contribution to the art now are you giving back to the arts teaching are you developing something that's going to be helpful are you mentoring people in some way of giving back so, oh, so which arts do you do my first art i was 10 years old uh 
I was it, it was basically a karate class, but even then it was a kind of a mix of taekwondo and karate. Taekwondo is a Korean kind of kicking and punching art that has more of an emphasis on kicks for high kicks in particular, jumping kicks. But it was a mix of kicking and punching arts. And then uh, when I was also younger, I started with a school that, that also emphasized some judo and some jujitsu. I learned to combine with the kicking and punching throws and takedowns and a little bit of grappling and that kind of thing. And so, and then over the years, just a sampling of, of different things here and there. But core art would be basically karate and judo. Very neat. And then it shows that they can all work with each other. You know, they might emphasize different things, but they're not mutually exclusive. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Speaking of arts, we can move into part two. I'm asking, is self-defense okay? Is self-defense okay? Depending on where you are in life, that may or may not be a silly question. But for Christians, so there's some denominations that express pacifism, especially during wars. And, and the thought behind that is anything from the Levites were not supposed to fight with the army in the Old Testament uh, to on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. But I've not seen a lot of denominations stress violence on a personal level, not being the instigator of violence, but if you're confronted with it. So is or how are these thoughts different? Objection to violence in war versus violence at the personal level? That's a tough question, and it's a subjective kind of thing, it's, and it's, this is from my perspective, if you will, my study. And so first of all, though, as far as the pacifism kind of thing, to me, that's a personal thing, and I understand it. it People want to do that in general. But there's a difference between, you know, for Christians. Jesus is shaping his disciples, teaching his disciples to do mission work, to take the gospel into the world. And so in doing that, the not being violent, you know, there, there's a strong connection with that. It's like, you know, we're not, I'm not sending you into the world to, to coerce the world. I'm sending you into the world to love the world on my behalf. You've got to ask yourself, okay, am I loving the world? If you're loving the world, you're not attacking the world. You're not fighting the world. You're not hurting the world, right? All those kind of things. And when we say the world, we mean anybody in it. There's a difference between being attacked or being persecuted for Jesus' sake and just being randomly attacked for your money or just for somebody's angry at you or, or whatever reason, you know. There's definitely a, a difference there. And I, I don't think that being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that that even in missional work that you don't protect yourself. And it can be situational. Even early Christians protected themselves by being secretive. Right? They went underground. You know, they were being heavily persecuted by Nero, who was uh, a Roman emperor who was arguably insane, but hated Christians, used Christians as a scapegoat. And so... They were heavily, heavily persecuted in order to survive and to keep the gospel, to protect the gospel. They had to go underground. You know, they had to hide, just like Christians have to do in some countries where Christianity is not allowed. They have to, they have to survive and they have to protect themselves and they have to protect their gospel by doing that. That's a, that's a form of protection. That's a form of self-defense. 
it's a nonviolent form, but it's still self-defense. I don't think there's ever a case that you uh, that we have to like not be that way. But for the sake of the gospel, you know, there are instances. You know, all the all the original disciples, all the, or the apostles, they were they were martyred. You know, but it was because they refused to to stop doing what they were sent to do. And so that's that's a different kind of situation. That it's about furthering the gospel, furthering the message of Jesus, you know, the love of God in the world, grace in the world, choosing not to be violent for that reason. Verses that talk about nonviolence, and these could supposedly argue against self-defense. Are these injunctions against learning or practicing self-defense? If they are, why? We could go all at once or one at a time. Which do you want? We do one at a time. First one is from Exodus chapter 20, one of the places the Ten Commandments are found. Uh, you might recognize this, do not murder, sometimes translated yeah. do not kill. Yeah, absolutely. And that's important. <laughs> <laughs> but here's a caveat for all scripture, right? First of all, anytime we pull things out of context, it can become self-serving. We pull these out so that I can prove my point to say, see, it says right here, you shouldn't do this, and so forth. This particular text, if you think about it, the Ten Commandments, so they were given to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. It was about keeping community. In order for them to survive in the wilderness for an extended amount of time, you know, 40 years, they're going to have to learn to live with one another. They're going to learn how to take care of one another, which is pretty good lessons for us in general. It's a matter of learning to live in community, which, if you think about it, is what God was trying to get them to do, is to learn how to do that, to grow in community, here are some rules you need to pay attention to as we do this. So really, that's what that was about. You know, again, what we try to avoid is legalism, what we call legalism, because that's a trap that will always come back to bite you. You have to do it this way because it says it right here, and then there's always contradictions, there's always exceptions, there's always this. So it's, it's about learning how to live together in community. And that makes sense why they're so... Simple sounding, yeah. right? Don't steal, don't kill. You're going to destroy relationships when you do those things. And you know what? You need each other. We have a hard time with it. We have a hard time because everybody wants to know, well, what's the consequence? Well, what if I do kill somebody? It's like, just don't do it. It's it's about caring for one another. It's not about what's going to happen to me if I do. You know, it's, it's the, the underlying question is, what can I get away with? And mm. that's not the whole point. The whole point is learning to live in community which more and more I think we have a hard time doing, you know, because we don't get the bigger picture. Yeah, that underlying question of what can I get away with seems to have happened in the Old Testament as well, because, right, there are the Ten Commandments, but there's also over 600 more specific commandments, mm -hmm. which seem to address lots of those. Yeah. Depending on how you translate Exodus twenty thirteen, do not murder, do not kill, right, their murder or kill are very different things from a legal sense, and yeah. in the U.S., you know, we could break down from manslaughter to actual murder and all these things, whether or not it was intentional, if it was intentional, how long were you thinking about it? And those are addressed later on in Exodus and the rest of the Torah. Mm -hmm. Where, well, okay, let's talk about murder now, let's talk about manslaughter. The law does a couple of things. One, it becomes self-serving, meaning that the people who make the laws tend to kind of make laws that, that benefit them. And oddly enough, you know, go figure. <laughs> and then the other thing is that it dumbs us down. 
You know, it's like, okay, am I inside the line or outside the line? Am I, am I skirting the issue? Whereas God is trying to teach us to love one another. And love is far beyond a basic law. You know, it's like if you love one another, you're not going to kill each other. You're going to want the best for each other. And that brings us back to Jesus, right? Saying that the whole law boils down to two things. They're, they're simple. Go. They might not be easy. But love God, love other people. There you and go. if you do that, the Ten Commandments are encompassed. All the rest of it's encompassed. This comes from the Federalist Papers. If men were angels, you wouldn't need government. Well, an interesting story, though, kind of back to what we're talking about. As far as self-defense goes and loving people and so forth, there's a story that was in the news not long ago where an older lady, now a little old lady kind of thing, you know, somebody broke into her house and she defended herself, overcame the attacker, and then asked, why, you know, why do you do this or whatever? And he said, he said, I'm hungry. And so what did she do? She fed him. And this is, again, this is a true story. This is not some kind of teaching kind of thing. This is literally happened just a few weeks ago. She overcame the guy, and then when he said he was hungry, that's why he broke in, she fed him. Now, that's loving your neighbor. To me, that sums it all up right there. Absolutely, you defend yourself, but you don't stop loving. Yeah, that's worth noting with self-defense and martial arts. Martial arts, and the title of this episode, Martialism, the noun form comes from Mars, who was the Roman god of war. Uh, so martial arts are used in war and by a lot of militaries, but that's not why a lot of people learn them. There are yeah. martial arts that should be thought of probably as a sport, and then there are others that are self-defense, but unless there's a rogue school out there, the, the philosophy of any of the arts is not to go kill people or even hurt them if you don't have to. It's just to remove the threat from yourself. Yes. Yeah. The next verse, and this comes from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this is in Matthew 5. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to whoever asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew is a very interesting gospel, and to be honest, it's probably my favorite gospel. But it's hard. It's hard because Matthew uses a lot of literary devices. I think that's why I, I really like him so much, because he uses uh, hyperbole. He uses exaggeration. He makes it black and white to prove his point. And so uh, you have some very stark passages. But at the same time, it's like if you read it and pay attention to what's going on, uh, there's a lot of grace in there. Matthew is written almost exclusively to a, a Jewish Christian community. So these are people who would be steeped in the law, you know, very prominent in this society. And it was very difficult for them to break away from. So, you know, Matthew, again, he kind of hammers them on this, you know, trying to make his point. And he leads up to not the abolishment, but the fulfillment, where Jesus fulfills the law for us. I mean, that's kind of where he's headed with this. Hey, don't get caught up and preoccupied with all these rules. So this was sort of some exaggeration against all those kind of things. Does that make sense? If Matthew's going for the stark contrast, I'm yes. going to beat you over the head with telling you something that sounds wild to make you listen with fresh ears. Exactly. Exactly. And so saying something like, if you know, someone forces you to go one mile, 
And I believe that that's a reference to when Roman soldiers would essentially conscript someone off the street to say, hey, carry my stuff with me. They say, hey, I need you to walk this to the other side of town. Instead of getting mad or refusing, when you get there, they offer, what else can I do? And it's that confrontation of, you know, if I'm a soldier, I'm expecting you to argue with me, fight, you do what I ask you to, and then you run away before I ask you something else. If you're kind to me, say, what else can I do for you? Well, I'm going to listen very differently. Amen. That's exactly right. Can you imagine the look on the face of the Roman soldier and, and has that person captured that soldier's attention? Absolutely. The other thing, though, about Matthew is that for the Jewish folk, they were expecting the Messiah to be a warrior, the Messiah who's going to raise an army and overthrow the Romans, put the Jewish nation of Israel back on top. That was the expectation. And then Jesus comes and says, that's not how we do things, and shows us who God is through, through his actions and through what he teaches. Luke 22, Jesus asked them, when I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandal, did you lack anything? Uh, Nothing, they answered, so they didn't lack. Jesus said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough. He replied. And from Matthew 26, and this is Jesus talking, he says, Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by it. This was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Soldiers come to take Jesus away, and a disciple cuts off the ear of one of the people that's there. Mm-hmm. So they're coming to Jesus. This disciple starts fighting back. Jesus says, Put your sword back. If you draw the sword, you'll die by the sword. The passage before that where Jesus almost contradicts himself and says, before I told you to to not take with you sword or uh, two tunics or money or anything, right? He sent them out to learn about faith, basically, to go with nothing but their faith. But then he comes and says, all right, now it's time to take stuff with you. And that explains kind of why there are disciples who have who has a sword in the garden, right, to begin with. And I think part of that reason that that passage is even there, the previous passage about now it's time to take a sword with you and it's time to take your purse and uh, extra coat and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of to explain, again, why there's a sword there to begin with. But it's also kind of a reminder that in that day, the readers would have, anytime they took a journey, you know, that was the expectation. You take these stuff with you because you're going to need it. You might, you know, you might need to defend yourself. You, you're going to need money with you. You're going to need an extra coat. So it sets up the story about the disciple cutting the ear off. It's like, okay, well, why does he have a sword to begin with? But then the other thing about that, which I just love, uh, and by the way, Luke is written more to Gentiles, but the whole idea, though, for me is, you know, he cuts the ear off, and then Jesus rebukes. So there's the nonviolent part, right, saying, yeah, I know you got a sword and all that kind of stuff. But the other thing is he, you know, here's the love part. He, he heals the soldier, right, puts his ear back on. But the other thing is this, it's like, how can he hear? We talked about the soldiers before. How can he hear if he doesn't have his ear? Mm-hmm. So Jesus puts his ear back on so that now he can hear the gospel, which I think is just great. You know, that, that healing comes so that he can experience the gospel in full. 
before we turn the mics on, you answered a question I had, which was which came first, Jeff the pastor or the martial artist. I like to think with my background in math and physics, 45 is greater than 25. So you've been a martial <laughs> artist for longer. <laughs> right, right. But that said, have you ever felt that they're in conflict at all? In seminary, when we were really digging deep into Scripture and kind of like what we're doing now and, and thinking about it. As a matter of fact, I think I even asked a professor about that. And the professor's answer was, well, it's a discipline. You know, it's a discipline. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I think the distinction that I'm able to make now is, again, understanding, all right, is is this about mission work in general? The work that I do as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus, my prayer and my hope and my efforts are to make the world a better place with the gospel, to love the world where I can, to believe wholeheartedly that everything Jesus was about is extremely important and how we convey that with, with one another and how we display that and how we share that. That said, though, there's nothing wrong with being able to defend yourself. In fact, you could say this, the, the better martial artist I am, the more control, maybe I won't hurt the person who's attacking me, or matter of fact, maybe I can alleviate this without violence, but with confidence that I can defend myself if I need to. And so just because you have the knowledge, you don't need to use it, and part of being a confident martial artist is recognizing situations that you can avoid instead of finding yourself in them all of a sudden. So next I have tough questions for you. Okay. So these aren't, you know, right or or wrong answer. I'm not going to play Bible trivia. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's directed toward me. What about other people? The tough situation is suppose that I am willing to let my enemy strike me in this context. Is it acceptable to watch that happen to others? Who do I love more, my family, friends, fellow mission, or the enemy, if I'm trying to love everyone? Mm -hmm. No, that's a great question. So first of all, and this goes back to the passivism kind of thing, right? Christianity has never been non-confrontational. Here's the thing. People don't get crucified unless you're making somebody mad. Does this make sense? Or you're threatening someone or someone is uh, anxious about losing something. And to do that, you've got to tick somebody off <laughs> because you're going against them. And that, But that means standing up for justice. Jesus leads us to be uh, confrontational in that way, but, but in the fact that when loving somebody becomes confrontational, loving somebody that you're not supposed to love, it's not necessarily directly confrontational, but sometimes we have to stand up for the people who are powerless. We stand up for people who are marginalized. Uh, we stand up for people who are being persecuted or taken advantage of. In doing so, that could put us in danger. Never has Christianity been, leave me alone, I'm just going to come and mind my own business. Going back to all of you know, kind of what you're asking, it's really about following Jesus. You know, what What is Jesus leading us to do? And it's standing up. It's loving for the people who are not being loved. Often the law is against that because laws benefit some people 
usually and not others when it's not universal then there's a problem if you think about it that's why jesus came in the first place right if you read the bible and read the gospels earnestly and carefully and pay attention jesus is going to all the people whom the pharisees said were untouchable who said were unclean who said you're not supposed to have anything to do with and jesus walked right through those laws and um, customs and cared for them loved them and said absolutely god loves you and you're just as worthy and you're justified and all those kind of things and that kind of action and that kind of i don't know work if you will can really upset the apple cart but that's what we're called to do not being violent you're not trying to overthrow anybody you're just doing what you were told not to do <laughs> for the sake of the gospel that's the theme I've seen throughout the whole Bible, you know, starting way back in the Old Testament, is the idea of standing up for the people that aren't receiving justice, right? Yes. So stand against injustice. And it's almost always against power. Those in power rarely are looking out for those kind of people. They're looking out for themselves. They're looking out for or finding ways that will benefit them ways that are self-serving, ways that will increase their power, which is exactly the dynamic between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees had all the power because they made the laws and they spoke for God. Jesus comes along and says, sorry, but uh, you know, you're not representing God the way God truly is, you know, and God incarnate who comes and doesn't raise up a sword against them, but instead lets them put him on a cross, continues to love the world, even when we try to kill him. The Messiah was expected to be a military conqueror, yep. come overthrow Rome, and back when the Messiah was first prophesied, there were different foreign powers over Israel. The Messiah, when he actually did come as Jesus, flipped the script a little or, or, or made people realize that what they were expecting isn't the way of God. It wasn't what we really need is to overthrow all these other powers and put Israel yeah. as the top. Right. Like when Jesus was on earth, Rome was, it was, there was a different way to overcome sin in the world and the, the part of human nature that leads to that type of violence and injustice. And it's not through physical violence, physically overpowering people or having a great army. It is through love. And what I think is important about that, and this is where where it gets hard, but this is where Jesus, you know, everything we've been talking about, really, you can see the difference. You know, if you think about what the Israelites had been put through, especially with Babylonian captivity, you can't blame them. I mean, you cannot blame them for that being their prayer. I would be that way. I mean, it's like, you know, you're persecuted, you're tired of these Romans controlling us, telling us what to do. You know, we're supposed to be God's people. Therefore, God, can you not send another David so that we can take care of this and get back on power and be the way it should be? You can't blame them for that. You cannot blame them. Instead, Jesus says, that's not the way we want to do this. It becomes where it's not us versus them. You know, It's not Christians versus the world. It's Christians loving the world. And that means loving the people who oppose us. But we do it so that they might get a glimpse of who God really is. Loving a person is different than loving an action. Right? So that person oh, doing the injustice, you could love that person 
stand up against the injustice. The next part I want to do, I, I called it open mic, and this isn't meant to be a bad thing. It, it's meant to be <laughs> if you want it. It could be as short or long as you desire. No, I appreciate that very much. Just a couple of short things. One is it is so crucial that we really get a grasp of what the gospel is about, what Jesus is about. You know, there are so many people who call themselves Christians that are so far away from representing Jesus truly is almost opposite people appropriate all kind of things they basically reinterpret what the gospel is in a way that doesn't resemble the gospel in any kind of way it is so important that we study that we wrestle with you know there you go with martial arts that we <laughs> try to grasp who jesus really is so that we may follow the true jesus and not what somebody says that this is what Christianity is or should be or this is how we should be. And and violence is not a part of that. You know, it just isn't. Jesus was never violent. And again, Jesus' command was love one another. It's crucial that we understand, again, who Jesus really is and what Jesus means for the world. But that does mean asking good questions. And there are leaders who say, you're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to explore. You're not allowed to uh, wonder, you know, this is right and this is wrong. Under that kind of leadership, we'll never know who Jesus really is. Back to Martin Luther. Hardly nobody, even the priests of the time, read the Bible. He went and dug the Bibles out and started reading them and said, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so, you know, the church had become, they repeated rhetoric but they didn't really study Jesus and therefore weren't really following Jesus. So it's crucial that we strive to do that uh, and understand what Jesus was about. And, and that goes back to many of the things we said already in this conversation about that. And the other thing is to understand that in the world today, anxiety is at an all-time high. Anxiety is when... Uh, from past trauma, our bodies learn to, they go into what's called fight or flight mode. It's, we use a small part of our brain when we're anxious, meaning we don't reason, you know, we don't use the higher functioning parts of our brain. It's hard to love the world, it's hard to love others when you're in fight or flight mode. When we're anxious, we're not using uh, reason, we're definitely not thinking about loving the world. We're thinking about protecting ourselves because we think of the world as completely hostile. But you know, all through Scripture, Jesus never said, be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> Jesus said, what? Don't be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Uh, and so learning and training ourselves to uh, not be anxious, and there's a lot of ways to do that through meditation, certainly through prayer, through mindfulness, where we learn to not worry about what's in the past and worry about what's going to happen in the future, but we focus on what's happening right now, what's going on between the people around us right now, where we are, not being anxious about it, being calm and, and, and understanding that God is with us uh, and we hear the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am with you.
So, so for me, that's what faith is all about, but also it's understanding the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is active. The mission of Jesus is confrontational sometimes. The, the mission of Jesus is not one that's appreciated by much of the people in the world. It's not an easy venture. It's not an easy thing, but yet we're called to do that. It's what Luther called grace and response. It's not works righteousness where we earn God's favor by doing X and X and X, but it's it's understanding the grace that God has already given us as we watch and look at Jesus hanging on the cross and uh, we hear about the resurrection and hear about God's never-ending love and so forth. That's grace. And then how do we respond out of that then? Understand that when we wake up in the morning, we are loved. We are forgiven. We don't have to be anxious. And then knowing that we are sent to love the world and, and then working out of that. So it's it's not an easy thing, but it's so, so important. and makes all the difference in the world. It's like night and day. The, the question is, how can we better follow Jesus? Thank you once again, Jeff, for your wisdom, insights, and your company today. It's been a pleasure to wrestle through martialism with you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And to the listeners, thank you for joining Stories of Symmetry. Today's episode was a special bonus with guest pastor slash master Jeff Lindsay. Stories of Symmetry is between seasons right now, but you can keep updated with the latest blogs, episodes, and other news by visiting storiesofsymmetry.com and following at Stories of Symmetry on Facebook or Instagram. As you do, please share Stories of Symmetry with the people in your life, either face-to-face or through shares, likes, and reviews. These small favors are immensely appreciated and help us get discovered by more people. Until next time, go with God, go in peace.